The Lifestylist, episode 59, featuring Crash Hoffler. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Call it karma, call it destiny, call it fate, call it whatever you want, but here we are together again on another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. Today's guest is a very interesting gentleman by the name of Crash Hoffler, founder of a company called Float Lab based in Venice, California. And this business, Float Lab, happens to be one of my very favorite in the entire world. And I feel so fortunate to live in Hollywood and to be able to not only visit the Venice location, but the Westwood location. So what is the Float Lab? The Float Lab are businesses that house what's called a sensory deprivation tank or a float tank. And this is something I've been into for a few years. I'm super into it. I do it as often as I can. So what is a float tank? Let me just put it like this. Okay, you're cutting off the senses to your body. So there's no sound, there's no light, it's totally dark, and you're floating in a solution of highly saturated water and Epsom salt, which allows you to float sort of like the Dead Sea. And the water and the air are the same degrees in temperature as your skin. So the idea here is that you're losing all senses and creating what could be best described as a zero gravity experience. So without having to go into outer space and lose gravity, you're losing touch with your perception of reality in a physical body. It's a highly spiritual, highly psychedelic experience. It's something I recommend to everyone. I've got to say, I've recommended to a couple people. I brought them and they're like, I don't get it. I'm bored. I'm floating in some warm water. What is this? But for me, I've had some of the most profound experiences and revelations in my life in float tanks and specifically in the ones that crash produces and designs. So that's why I went to the man himself, went out to the Venice location. I didn't unfortunately have a float that day, but I did the prior week or so and uh, sat down in his crazy office. You got to watch this video on YouTube, by the way. We did record the video. He's got a very interesting space there. And we just tripped out for a while and just talked about how he got into the industry, how he first heard about it, some of the experiences he's seen uh, from his customers and had himself, the revelations that he's had, some of the common misconceptions and fears that people have around it and why his float tanks are, in his opinion, and mine as well, I share this opinion, the best in the world. He is a stickler for sanitation. Is that something that kind of freaks people out? You know, float tanks were big kind of in the 60s, 70s. They started to build in popularity, but then AIDS hit and they kind of tanked because of the sanitation issue. Oh, tanked, no pun intended. (laughs) But, uh, you know, he developed a method of filtration, which is just insanely sanitary. And so we talk a lot about that and just the science behind it. And um, I just love people that are really devoted and passionate about what they do. And Crash is no exception. He's an old school Hollywood rock and roll dude. He's been around for a long time. And he found a way to trip balls without having to ingest anything. And it is called a float tank. So I trust that you're going to enjoy this episode thoroughly. And if you dig it as much as I think you're going to dig it, I want you to do 
two things. A, click on subscribe on your device or whatever you're listening to this episode on so that you don't miss any future releases. They're going to automatically be downloaded to your device. Second thing I want you to do is to share this episode with a friend. If you know someone who's into personal development, biohacking, spirituality, health and wellness, all the stuff we talk about, forward this episode to them right now before you even start. All right. It's a great way to give back and support the show. And I thank you for that. I've noticed in the last few weeks that I'm getting more and more questions submitted through the website and on social media, and I wanted to let you, the listener, know that I'm very open to suggestions about the show or just general questions. If you've got something you want to know the answer to, you can always submit that to info at lukestory.com or just leave it on Instagram or on my Facebook page, and I will either answer it myself or do my best to get one of my guests to answer it. And I'd like to let you know that if you're interested in working with me, in a one-on-one coaching capacity that you can do so easily by going to lukestory.com forward slash coaching, where you can set up an appointment to hang out virtually with yours truly. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at Organifi.com. Really excited about this product. I've been using it for a few months, and I've got to say, they are revolutionizing the green juice game. So you probably know that green juice is good for you, right? We see them like in 7-Eleven now and airport convenience stores. That's awesome. I'm all for it. But there's a couple of issues with green juice that I find troubling. A is a lot of times they come in plastic. B, they're loaded with sugar up to 25 grams sometimes, which is insane. That's like a green Coke. But the main thing is they're just really in convenient. They're not good for travel. Organifi has solved that problem by creating these single serving packets of a really easy to mix, easy to use green juice superfood blend. It's loaded with 11 superfoods. It's got chlorella, wheatgrass, spirulina, mint, turmeric, moringa, ashwagandha, lemon, beets, matcha green tea, coconut water. Best of all, it's sweetened with monk fruit, which is a really low glycemic sugar. So it's not going to spike your blood sugar, which essentially drains you of energy, makes you crash, and ultimately could also make you fat because you don't want to be having a high sugar drink. It just is not good. So these guys make this amazing tasting, super powerful green juice powder. It also comes in a tub if you just want to have one at home. It's by far the tastiest one that I've found. There's a lot of superfood green blends around. And to be honest, a lot of them just taste gross and they don't mix well and they're just not convenient to travel with. You'd have to like make a Ziploc bag full of some green powder. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to be traveling through the airport security and get caught with one of those. So if you want to check it out, I highly recommend that you do. And I've also got a little discount for you, of course. All you do is go to Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I, Organifi.com. Enter the code LIFESTYLIST and you will save 20% off your order. It's a pretty sweet deal. So again, go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST and you will save 20%. Check it out. A massive part of my health strategy is the ingestion on a regular basis of medicinal herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And my primary source for those is a company called Four Sigmatic. If you remember way back in the day in episode eight, I had a guest by the name of Taro Isakapula from this company. And we talked all about the power of these amazing herbs and mushrooms. Well, Four Sigmatic do a great job of making them not only potent, but also convenient and delicious. So they make these little packets of herbs that you add to hot water, cold water, or bulletproof coffee, whatever your recipe is. I make them with all kinds of different stuff all the time. It makes a really easy way to get this stuff into your body. And these are herbs that have a real effect on you. It's very powerful stuff. So go to foursigmatic.com, but wait, I'm going to hook it up when you get to foursigmatic.com 
Enter the code THELIFESTYLIST at checkout to save 15% off your order. So you can get things like reishi mushrooms, chaga mushrooms, cordyceps, lion's mane, ashwagandha, all the good stuff that really works. So go to foursigmatic.com, enter the code THELIFESTYLIST and save 15% off your order. Crash Hoffler is the inventor and founding director of Float Lab Technologies located in Venice Beach, California. Crash has been building flotation tanks since 1999 and opened the Venice Beach Float Lab location in 2002. In 2015, he also opened a showcase facility in Westwood, California, housing seven chambers, which is where I go to float. Place is fucking fantastic. He's also designed, researched, developed, and patented the cellular influence device. The CID consists of a float lab chamber and advanced underwater audio components with a specially designed visual display unit. Crash also has 25 years of live sound reinforcement, including touring with national and international artists, construction, and management skills. He's currently a member of the National Sanitation Foundation, otherwise known as the NSF, Joint Committee, and the chairperson for their Sensory Deprivation Task Group. He's worked with authorities all over the world to establish and define proper standards for the flotation industry. Welcome to the show, Crash. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. So the first thing I want to ask you is, how did you get the name Crash? I used to work with a band uh, when uh, Pulp Fiction was out. It was called Urge Overkill. And uh, sure, sure, I remember that band. Yeah, yeah, great guys. Yeah, yeah I love those guys. Yeah. I mean, we, they took me all around the world and said, you know, a lot of fond memories with those cats. But uh, part of my task was taking care of Blackie. He was the drummer. You know, I never was a drum guy. You know, but this this gig I got, they uh, said, hey. Uh, it was for monitors, you know, stage sound. Yeah, yeah. Some mixes. But so the, you, were, you were doing the monitor mix? Well, part of, that's what I got. And then the guy said, you know, you got to do drum teching, too. And, and I, said, I said, well, you Jesus, know. Jesus, I'm not a... Uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a big stretch. Well, you know, not really. It's, it was kind I mean, of... did you have to tune the drums? That always... Well, I was, I'll, I'll just ramble through this story as fast as possible. Because yeah, yeah. I give it a little context that okay. way. So, but the, 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 the requirement, it was hooking up as a monitor guy. But then the manager said, listen... You got to be a drum tech too to go do this gig, and I and I brought along a guitar tech with me, and said, so we're going to go out and have a good time or whatever. And so I said, okay, I'm a drum tech, you know. So like the first night we go out, you know, on on this tour, I had my buddy that, that I brought along was the guitar tech that I knew. He said, here, hire us. We'll go to, and he could show me because he's a drummer. So yeah, I learned, oh, I learned about drums, you know, what how to, I could do that. I know how to mic them up. You know, I've been micing up, putting them around. I know drums. I know which one's what, this, that, and whatnot, you know, but I don't know how to, I'm not really a tech of any sorts at that time. So I was like, okay, so they take me out there, and the first night, the kit just melts, right? I mean, the, the snares, the hi-hat, the, the whole thing, the kit, the thing sliding all around, because this guy's beating this kit now, right, Blackie, right. with these right. uh, giant rock sticks. There's no heads on them. I forgot what they're called now, but they're solid stick. The handle's the same, and he's just, the kid's, and I'm going, oh, God. So the, the the front of house guy said, "Hey, that guy's no, you know, drum tack." You know, so you got busted. Spotted me the first <laughs> night out, right? So they thought, "Oh God, they're gonna." So the manager comes, says, "Man, he goes, Dino ratted you out. They, he told them that you're not a drum tack." And uh, so he goes, "But Blackie, he went to bat for you. He said that. Well, can this guy do that or what? You know, can he? Is he going to be able to do it?" And then uh, so Pat said, "Yeah, yeah, I think he could." So he says, "Because I want to keep him." 
So, because I don't want to go home off a tour, you know, it's like really the worst thing happens. But so, so okay, you got to have this. Da- so I learned everything about being a drum. T- I mean, I learned I learned tricks. And do you have to tune them? The answer is yeah. yeah. I had to tune them, set them up, replace the heads, you know, keep the stuff tight, working. And then I figured out all of everything else. Because I got him a little cocktail table for his drink because he smoked and drank and everything. I'd hit him with a cigarette at the right time, you know, make sure his, his bourbon was mixed properly, you know. And then I put fans up, made a really nice thing. But one of the symbols now on a drum kit is called a crash symbol. Yes. So, so the guy now that, that named me Crash was Nash. Because, see, now Nash, he was a guy that sang. It was like kind of a friend, wonderful, another great guy. But he would drink two bottles of wine every night on the bus. I don't sleep. I'm up, right? So on the bus, well, I'm just, I don't even go on into my bunk or nothing. But, and Nash would stay up, and he would sit in the front up there and, you know, and drink two bottles of wine every night to the next place, you know, but he'd sit there and at some point he'd pass out with the, and he never spilled the wine and he'd pass out and then he would wake up and he would say, uh, good morning, Crash. And I would say, good morning, Nash. And then that was how he named me Crash because of the Crash symbol and his name was Nash. Somehow I knew that that name had something to do with rock and roll. <laughs> it just that Nash, sounds like a rock and roll name, you know. It's, it's a like, good it, one to remember you with. You it know, was a little oh. later. Like I was like, it must have been in the '80s. He was like living in Hollywood and like part of the rock scene or something. But it was I was not that far off in my imagination. But Some yeah, what say was, it was a car what, reference or something? Oh, you run into no, stuff. No, I thought or, of like mu- I thought of music, like nah. like Darby Crash from the Germs. Like I thought of something like that. Anyway, all right. So, what was that song that Urge Overkill had the big hit with? They did "Woman" was okay. on that oh, album. Girl, which you're, is a you're a woman now. Neil Diamond song. Yeah, that was a great cover of that too. You know, was, that it, scene in the movie was fucking epic too. <laughs> that that was, they a, got they yeah. got. I mean, they're talented, of course, obviously, but they got lucky because that scene oh. was just like. They got lucky a couple yeah. few times on their career with yeah. what they did, you know, and then it yeah. went at the end, I guess, you know, certain aspects went against them, you know. I'm in a Seattle groove now, music wise. I, I, like you so play I in a band? No, no. But oh, I mean, you're into far, the music. Okay. This is what I'm listening to as far right. as if I have to like cue something up to listen to it, right. is that time period right. that was so plentiful of extraordinary music. I mean, the 90s, in my opinion, was the best time for music where they there was so much good stuff happening it was such a you know a lot of uh you know i remember that i moved to hollywood in 1989 and it was uh, coming just out of like the glam rock like hair metal phase and then nirvana hit there was uh, like guns and roses and there was jane's addiction they were the only two kind of cool bands that were outside of like cheesy hair Jane's metal addiction yeah then good. then fucking grunge happened it was like all those guys were just put out of work like that whole like sunset strip scene all that shit just like died in a day you know <sighs> seemed like yeah so i remember that but anyway back to the task at hand so thank you for uh the history on the name and my other question was i've noticed anytime i've seen you which has been a couple times now in person doing floats and then online you always wear sunglasses what's up with the sunglasses well you know uh I have a lot of them, and if if I didn't wear them, they'd just sit somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take that. All right, so let's get into the tank. So what we're talking about here today, folks listening and the folks watching on YouTube or Instagram Live, is really taking a dive, no pun intended, into the world of sensory deprivation tanks, or sometimes known as float tanks. And we're at Crash's place, as you know, called Float Lab out in Venice. He's got another one in Westwood that I've been to, which is 
without a doubt, the best one I've ever personally been to. I mean, it's just beautiful, impeccable space and just amazing quality of float. But for the people listening that don't even know what the hell I'm talking about, what is a sensory deprivation tank? Oh, it's like an environment that has a solution in it that that consists of uh, water and Epsom salt that's dissolved. And the the density then is uh, safe for uh, something about five feet wide and eight feet long. A box like that with the solution and everything, say, let's just say, roughly speaking, 300 gallons of uh, you know, uh, solution in that. And then it's like four pounds to every gallon of uh, salt. That's so as you can imagine, quite a bit. It's a 1.25 density, which then you, uh, it suspends the body without any, uh, any effort. You don't know. No, uh, and then the, it's at skin temperature, so you don't feel anything. Now, the basic concept that holds true regardless of of your take or how you walk away from it or whatever you, your opinion is or whatever like that. The brain that we're working with, the part that we use mostly is, is dedicated to gravity navigation. We're uh, mostly able to walk around and pick stuff up and you know, work with uh, gravitational circumstances. Then there's external input, like, oh, it's like bright or shiny or blue or it's loud or what, you know. So that's where, where we're at mostly. And then there's a little bit left over for, you know, creativity or whatever. Some people have more. But the majority, like I said, that, that is expended on the uh, gravitational uh, situation then. But in this environment, what it does is it negligates that requirement for um, processing such as, as normal. And then also that's, you know, black and there's not, you know, not the sound is limited and the different... Uh, other things that free up capacity, you know, in your mind. And they thought when it eventually, initially that when uh, they shut the stimulation to the brain off, that the, uh, it would shut down. But what they showed was that when it went the stimulation off, it actually, the brain was like on more. It was like trying to find, so you go, whoa, available now. You know, I said, I'm not doing that now. What can I get with, you know? So it's like a, uh, and then if you can learn how to, uh, you know, channel that extra uh, insightfulness, into a productive method of personal uh, evaluation. It's quite an uh, extraordinary tool if that's what your uh, interests are, you know. Yeah, so, so you're inside either a tank or a chamber, depending on the style and the construction, and you're literally, like the name says, you're depriving yourself of as many senses at once as possible. Because it's like even sitting here, like I have to keep my spine kind of upright and I got to keep my head from falling to the side. And I mean, there's a lot of things that the nervous system has to be keeping track of in order just to sit here and have a conversation. Whereas in the tank, to me, what it feels like is sort of like your mind or your consciousness is just free because it doesn't have to worry about anything in your body. Yeah. Is that, would that be, would that make sense you? Know, to you that that's uh, completely... Uh you know, true that I think that when you're relieved of those responsibilities, if you could just let yourself go, you develop, I think, everybody uh, at, at different rates of uh, some people are already, you know, further along with their own process of development. You know, like we're, we're a thing that can continue to become something better if we apply, you know, effort or energy or, uh, you know, uh, thought or something into it. We're a product that can continuously uh, improve. I don't even know too many things that what you do makes it continually, I guess, a house or certain things, you know, that the more you put into it, the more you can get out of it. But human being is an investment like that. The more you invest in yourself, 
the better the product turns out to be. I, I, in my opinion, I, you know, some people get it right away, they're satisfied, and then they can roll like that. But personally, I, I've never been as good as what I thought I could be. So I've never decided that, oh, look, I, I'm good here. I, I even, you know, I'm good to be here for now, but I, I don't want to be stuck somewhere yet. You know what I mean? So the, yeah, of course. So the tank can be used, I guess, for expansion and for growth and just becoming aware of who you are and where you might be able to go because you're given the space, <laughs> your mind and spirit are given the space to kind of expand and not be caught in this linear animal material sort of physical yeah. experience, right? Gives you a step back, you know, you know, unplugged. So back to the the actual tank for people that haven't seen a picture of one or can't you know, figure it out. It, so yeah, we, yeah. Important. So we have like what, like then like eight hundred thousand pounds of Epsom salt or something in there. Would, well, there's like about four pounds per gallon, and okay. so it depends on the size of that chamber. Okay. We use about twelve hundred pounds on ours, but wow. we fill them up more than anybody else too. We use twelve and, to fourteen, sometimes fifteen inches. Some people are gonna say, oh, we use eight or ten. Ten, I think, is the number they tell. Eight hundred pounds. Okay. That's what people say. They say, oh, it's ten inches, eight hundred pounds. I don't know what. So because the water has that just that perfect density. degree of density and saturation right. what the experience is is that you lay back 100% but it's just enough salt to where your face doesn't go under yeah. and you can still breathe that's what's trippy it, it yeah. like naturally forms a little circle around your breathing yeah. apparatus <laughs> your ears go under but your eyes nose and mouth don't and it's just it's so weird so if we went down to one of your tanks and put 50 pounds more of salt, would you float too much? And if we took out some salt, would you float too little? Well, what happens is the salt gets to be a different crustacean factor. <laughs> like, the more salt, the faster it'll go back to that. You have to get the air just right, right. because it's on your chest. Yeah. And it, you don't want it to turn to salt while you're laying there. It's trying to keep the humidity just right. right. You have to, there's a lot of different little things. That, the hardest part is just the, uh, controlling that environment, because everybody is a little bit different. This guy, that guy, her, him, big people, little people, whatever. The, the different temperature. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. So what if? So you have like ten inches of water. Me, I'm like a fairly thin guy. I'm six two, one ninety five. What happens if a guy walks into your clinic and is three hundred pounds, like a really obese guy? You got guys. I saw. Would they? Do they still float the same, or do I you need to put great. more water? No, no, no. Okay. You know, they they just. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the physics of it. Well, I'm like, they, 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 what they do is they dislocate the. Uh, as they go down, it, it moves more of it to make it more. Oh, uh, okay. So, you know, but once again, we start off with a, a sufficient amount to accommodate, uh, you know, whoever. I remember one time I saw two guys that were out here. They were together. They were on the bench. and They must have weighed 1,000 pounds between them. No shit. They were this big. I was worried that bench out there wasn't going to hold them. There was two of them. And I even asked them how much they weighed. I don't think it was 1,000, but it was between the two of them almost. <laughs> If they're that Huge. big, they, I would think like they might put their foot through the fiberglass. Well, no, you know, it's, it's metal. It's all oh, okay, metal. Okay, it all, is. No, we don't make that cheap stuff. Our stuff is okay. strong. Okay. That's what, everything we do is really strong that way. And you know, it, it, you know in the handrails, they got to be tested out at 300 pounds for the certification that we've been through here with all that. Dude, I got to say, one thing I really like about your tanks is those handrails because. I don't know, maybe every 45 minutes or so in there, I want to move around and just kind of stretch it. And it's really hard to do that with when you don't have something to hang on to because you flip over and it gets all weird. Like I like having those things I can kind of brace myself and sort of stretch and just kind of move my joints and then go back into the relaxation. Cool. So that's the tank and there's different types. What I like about yours too, they're more like a room. 
I wouldn't even, like it's a chamber, yeah, but I've been in some, like I've been in those old school samadhi ones that are like a little coffin, and then I've been in some that are like a pod, and I'm not particularly a claustrophobic person, but I think it's just generally for people probably way easier for them to walk into an actual room like yours. It's it's really is a chamber where I think I could stand up in there. It feels quite tall, right? Yeah, generally they're seven feet tall. Yeah, whereas There's, like some of the uh-huh. little... I can hang in one of the little Samadhi coffin ones. It doesn't bother me. It's not as good of an experience because you hit the sides and shit, and there's a lot of other things I don't like. But people always ask me, their first question is like, oh, isn't it claustrophobic? I'm like, no, it's like it's like a walk-in closet. I mean, it's actually pretty big space. It's just that it's dark, pitch black dark, so you don't know how big the space is unless you well, unless the, the door's that's open. The, that, that, that's, the, uh, that's the kicker, you know? I mean, it's like, okay... Because, you know, over the years here, we've been here for uh, 16 years in Venice, and uh, thousands of people have told me about their uh, claustrophobic issues, you know, and you're like, all right, well, in order to be claustrophobic, you need an area of reference. You have to feel like you're enclosed, confined, limited, restricted, something. Right. And none of these conditions exist in there. It's only in your head. Because <laughs> right. you have no senses it, it's, there's by no which wall. to become claustrophobic. There's okay. no area of reference. You can't, yeah. you can't. Once they're in there, they're fine. But you talk about those smaller rigs. I used to make them small in the beginning. The first you know, ones I made were small. I made them like angled on the top for the condensation would run down. I tried a lot of different things, you know, about the, uh, I tried a DeLorean door. I tried different things, you know, and uh, what happened was that the people would not get in that small chamber, man. They would uh, say, you know what? I don't need to get in there. I'm scared. And that totally caught me off balance. I, I had no idea that there'd be any kind of uh, hesitation for somebody just to get inside this thing and lay down. I mean, to me, it's like a nothing. I mean, it, w- it wasn't even something that would indicate thought. I mean, that later on, of course, what I became aware of was that, you know, how was that solution being dealt with what it was <laughs> yeah. my own though it was at my house it was just me right. you know so but i still was using ozone then and then i i was still learning about certainly over the years you know, disinfection is, is the primary uh consideration for yeah. us is like yeah. what happened between point a and point b you know what i mean and that's yeah. why well, i want to i definitely want to yeah. get into just all aspects of the water and the sanitation but let me jump back to let me finish this really quick okay, yeah yeah cool. so the, the so the small so when I came here then, so then it was like, oh, I'm in trouble. If nobody's going to get in the thing, it'll never, because that was my intention is to get people to do this because it was so cool. I thought, man, I thought I'm going to sell thousands of these things. It's so awesome because I was just getting off of some stuff I'd been doing and this was like a perfect thing to be doing going, whoa, this actually delivers some goods. I mean, I'm doing that and I'm feeling this and it was all adding up in my head really well and I think everybody, because that was before I realized that a lot of times, my gauge is the worst one to go by. But at that time, I was thinking, oh, yeah, everybody's going to love this. But first, they're scared. What are you going to do? Now, if nobody will go in there, you're going to try it. So down here then, I, so I built, that's when I built the tall one. I took the one that I had like a DeLorean, and I took the top of it, and I said, let's build this thing up another three feet, and then put a flat door on here and see if that'll penetrate past this 
concept that people have for fear, you know, that I'm, I don't understand, but this should do it. You know, there's a room, like you said, it's like a closet. You can't walk in here. You've got other issues. You know, you should yeah. stop somewhere <laughs> yeah, first totally. before you get here. You yeah. know? Go to a shrink and yeah, like, why can't you stand yourself. in a dark closet yeah. if you're a grown-ass adult? You know, walk in the door by yourself with those other right. But anyway, so then here, when we've opened up, with just the, I had a small one and a big one. The people look at the small one. I showed to them every time, the first time I showed, back then I charged $25. You could stay in there all night. I didn't care because there wasn't any takers. Nobody cared. And that's the only reason why I was here is because nobody wanted to buy one. So now I have to figure out, oh, how am I going to even make this good? I have to show people what it is. So then I have to open a place to let people do it, you know. And then there was nobody wanted to do it, you know. It's just been, you know. So, so I show them the small one first, and they go, oh, you know, I can't do that. There's no way. And then I'd bring them. I say, oh, well, you could do this one then, and take them over there. You know, if you can't do that, then I would shame them. You know, like you know, <laughs> I need that twenty-five bucks. You know, so I got to I got to sell this. You know, I got to make it happen. But so what's the, what's the history? of tanks was there like one person that invented them or did they just emerge on the scene gradually what's what let's take us back in time was it as far as i know is even like in the late 60s or something is that correct i think it was the late 50s there was a guy named john Lilly. he's the one that got credit for it now you know i've heard other people too that somehow had something with him at some time in frame and but he was the one guy for sure that pioneered the idea through into uh i don't know if they he was responsible for the uh the change in the design because i know that i've seen some pictures where they were using like apparatus like a helmet like underwater and they were vertical then later on they got horizontal i think him and uh glenn designed something uh that was that that shamadi uh tank I wasn't there then. Then I saw that movie Altered States. That's know? that's the, that's what I was going to ask you about too. That was a freaky ass movie. But you know what? It went right past me. I thought, you know, it's like it's like oh, they have a spaceship or a, a, there's a time traveling machine or well, in Altered States, and we'll put this in the show notes, you guys. But I was I was a kid when that came out. That came out around the same time as like that movie Scanners. I don't know if you remember that. They were just really trippy, sort of like psychological thrillers. But in that movie. I think they were like doing LSD experiments and shit kind of combined with the tank too. Was yeah, that I think kind they of got part some, of that? some mushrooms or something they were going to get. Right. It was, uh, but you see what the point I'm trying to make about, about my initial exposure yeah. to, to the chamber was that it wasn't real. It was a box full of water. Right, right. Eh, you know, oh no, you got to do a bunch of dope to get to do something or yeah. something. Oh, then you're going to change into an animal and you're going to run down and eat a lion at the zoo. You know, so for me, it's like, you know, I, I don't, it's fantasy. Yeah. It's why I like to watch something is because it's imagination, you know? So that was my, you know, evaluation of what it was, was nothing. I didn't even know that it was something that did something until later on when I actually got, got in it and, so from what I've heard about the history of it, there was a point there in the 70s where the popularity sort of started to ramp up yeah. and, it, and it became a little less fringe. But then AIDS hit in the 80s and everyone didn't want to get in a fucking you know, tub anything. of water that someone had just been in. There was all this paranoia about, about the infection. You, did you hear anything about that? I mean, did you notice like a surge of popularity? I believe that is what or? occurred. I believe that's what occurred. That only makes sense to me anyway. You know, I don't, I'm a totally freaked out about anything that's weird like uh, somebody else. 
You know, even people touching me or something, I get weird about it. You know, what is it? Wash your hands. I wear these gloves whenever I'm. <laughs> I'm glad cleaning. when I put your headphones on, I didn't. Yeah, like. that was almost weird too. You know, I like to put my own headphones on in the future, but I figured, ah, well, let him put the headphones on. It's not gonna. Thanks I'll for humoring me. I was I was holding it tough, but yeah, that for the was record, funny I did that. not touch your earlobes yeah, yeah. with my fingers. No, I know I would have freaked out if you would have had, but it was so very important that we uh, developed this disinfection process to the extent that we did because. I was told from day one that I'd been overkilling from day one. And when I'm talking about disease, you can't overkill. There is no overdoing uh, disease uh, extermination, man. I'm into like, because I use these things. I'm going in there, you know? And uh, Yeah, so if you own the place and you're going in after like six people went in there all day, like you don't want to be floating in their filth either. I don't want to like, go in there after one time. Yeah. You know, that's what it is that, you see... All this testing, this goes back to the same, uh, it ties together with the time frame. The concern for disease transmission was then with the AIDS uh, right. epidemic uh, or, or initiation or whatever it was. That was when you go, what was this again, AIDS? I remember there was like a boy dancer doing like a show, Suzanne Summers or something, Ann Margaret, I can't remember what it was, but that one of the boy dancers had AIDS. And I wore a... a a face mask the whole time, man. You know, one of them things. And I was so freaked out. Anyway, I, I could tell stories about my, you know, silly uh, interpretation of what I called the Center for Disease Control when I was in the steam rooms at these places in Hollywood. I didn't know that that these guys were all that way when I went into the steamer. I'm in there and they're going, they had a lot of Lispy going on. A lot of Lispy. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I don't want to be in the steamer with Lispy. You know what I mean? It's okay, you guys. Go ahead. I'll, so I got myself my own little chair to sit in. And then they said, oh, no, you can't sit on that chair in here. So I said, okay, well, I'm out of here then because I'm not going to sit and sweat with some guys that, you know, I don't, uh, you know. So at that time, there was a lot of paranoia <sighs> about that because no one knew how it was transmitted <sighs> and all this kind of stuff. Exactly. So that probably put a damper on the popularity and the rise of floats. I would <laughs> imagine, you know I, what I mean? I wasn't yeah. doing it then, but I mean, that would certainly, and it adds up. So, so at what point did you then... Do you remember your first float yourself as, yeah. a, as a customer? Where was it and when was it? Oh, no, it? It, was, it was never a customer. There was nowhere to go. So you just you heard about it and then just made <laughs> one? I didn't and even that was hear about float? it. I had my head. I built a studio out in Vegas. That's why I left Hollywood, man. I was done with that scene, you know? And I went to Vegas to get myself reorientated on, on life or some shit. I don't know. But another chapter or something. So I got out there and I got this uh, studio. I built it already. It was done. And I was going to have my guys come out there, and we're going to start playing out there. And I was 10 miles outside of town there. I could shoot a gun off. Nobody would even know. Now it's all built up. But back then, I had this ranch. And then uh, I'm in the back one day in this big old water dealio that was there. And it was my head in there going, uh, working on my voice. And it hits me. I'm supposed to build uh, deprivation chambers and get other people to do that. And I'm thinking... What is that? I don't even know. It wasn't a voice, a light, or nothing. It was just all of a sudden, when I pulled my head out of that thing, I realized I'm supposed to do this. And I already have a studio. Wow. Wow. I have a job. I have everything already. I'm already moving. I have a, I'm on a vengeance now. I'm after something right. that I didn't finish. And I have to get what I want. And uh, it, uh, somehow, I dropped everything and then figured it out how to make one of these. And then, no shit. Uh, so your first float was one of your own uh Actually, I, I got to go into a shamadi. Uh, there was a person in Vegas, this guy, and he had one up in a uh, 
in his apartment. And somehow I was able to track him down, try to find out what was one of these things, you know. And he had one in this apartment. And I went over, this guy was immaculate. The place, I went, he let me say, hey, come on over. So I got over there, and he goes to me upstairs, and, I get the, and this thing now, <clears throat> he didn't give me any instructions. He says, just get in there, and you lay down for an hour or something. And I said, all right. So I'm in there, and the first thing, it didn't get dark. I could see in the thing. It, did, it didn't, oh, the light didn't that go out. Sucks. I'm looking around in there, and I'm going, yeah, this is, and I'm sat up for a while, and I laid down. And then I noticed over on the, uh, the little, uh, a little caddy area of sorts there. And there, there was like a Band-Aid in there on that thing. And I remember it, this thinking, oh, God, I'm, <laughs> there's a Band-Aid in here with me from somebody, you know? And, and it was like freaking me out, you know? Like the, the, but anyway, I did it, and it, it didn't, I, did, I didn't get anything out of it at all. I, I would, like I said, I didn't even realize what it was that it was that it was supposed to be or anything. The like guy didn't say float in here. I thought I'm just supposed to sit in here. I don't know what am I supposed to do in this thing. It's lit up. Like I said, I could see in it. There was yeah. holes coming in. There wasn't, it wasn't sealed correctly. The light is an issue. You yeah. have to learn how to exterminate light. You can't yeah. have light in there. Light is much easier to deal with than sound. Sound, you've got structural problems. You're dealing with a lot of different circumstances that pertain to sound transfer through you know, different methods. You know? But the light, there's no excuse yeah, for having light in rough. there. I even, I even figured out how to block the light out of my bedroom, and I'm not even an engineer. So how, so how did you... I'm curious, because the, like the construction of your units is so precise. How did you learn about fabricating and engineering? And like, what's your background? How do you even know how to like get some metal cut to make a door and shit? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, when I was a kid, we used to, I used to you know, do work. You know? I, I've always done work and build stuff. I was built houses with the guys. You know? Okay. Construction is fine with me. You know? okay. I, I like that. And then, uh, but this now is a whole other skill set. This had to do with plumbing, which is basic. I could put showers in. Well, stuff basic, but, and electrical, very basic on electrical. But now, what we did is we went through, like you say, we're going back to the issue here, which is, the processing of that solution between usages. So we continue to uh, develop methods to clean that stuff up properly between usages. We're at a half a micron on the filtration. We, you know, what is a hair? Four microns or something? How much is a hair? What's a hair on the microns? But we're at a half a micron. Even a cryptosporidium. See, that's something else we're using the UV light that, that deals with cryptosporidium, which is very powerful. It's a $9,000 light. It takes chlorine 10 days to deactivate crypto. So you're going to douse some chlorine, it's going to do any good. Same with Giardia. Giardia is, what, four days in chlorine? You know? Really? And that's the strongest of those halogens. Wow. And then, you know, they've determined most recently about this peroxide that Canadians did all this laboratory work. I love these Canadian, the uh, Ministry of Health there. Is fantastic. These girls, they're scientists. No, they're not with the Ministry of Health. They're with the Center for Disease Control. Excuse me. The, the Ministry of Health people are fine. I've known those guys through there. We met multiple factions of those guys, and they're all doing a good job too. But the girls from the CDC there are the, the scientists. Then they, They're brilliant. I really, uh, they've done some fantastic work that's available to view too. It tells you all about a lot of stuff. But now we're working with the uh, Center for Disease Control and the MAC, the Model Aquatic Health Code, which I believe will be going into effect in November, which specifies all of these issues in, in code language. Because right now, and see, this is why a lot of people, they, they think that I'm trying to be, go against something or be 
not cool or whatever it is because I, I'm determined to uh, have this industry become uh, valid or uh, legitimate. Or uh, So in terms of the disinfection you're talking about, so you get a person in the tank and they're floating in the water. They could have germs, bacteria, whatever, skin, just yeah. bodily fluids. Who you knows take a shower kind of first. So yeah. You're supposed to theoretically get yourself cleaned off the bugs off of you or whatever's on the crusty there on the outside edges. Yeah. You know, but when you're in there then, well, who knows what could happen or even how well they even took a shower for that matter. You right. know, you're not in there yeah. checking anybody, but yeah. that's the first step. You're supposed to get clean first. And we use organic soaps and shampoos and all everything we use is always in our places uh, organic and top the best we can find. Like everything. If we yeah. can find something that's better, we got it. We're on yeah. it immediately. Like the we don't use Vaseline, we use this stuff called Waxeline. It cost me like you know, a bunch of money, but it's it's just yeah. who wants For to if take somebody a, has a cut or something, right? You give them a barrel of Vaseline here, and they got what are they going to scoop that out? Where would that come from? You got to yeah. somebody hands you one of these, you're going, oh gee, <laughs> I'd rather not touch the container, let alone what's in it. You know. So for you for you guys listening, just heads up what the Vaseline's about or the Waxeline that he uses, which sounds oh. a lot nicer, is if you have a cut. Like I remember one day I had just like bitten a nail off a little too yeah, a little too, too far and yeah. I went in the mm-hmm. tank and it stung like shit. Yeah. So you definitely don't want to like, ladies, don't wax, don't oh, shave, yeah. like anything before you go in there because <laughs> you'll 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 be bummed. You we did the arsenic have... girls over there. They're the Snapchatty girls. Okay. They're like the number one Snapchatty thing they have. And uh, have you ever heard of these girls? No, uh-uh. They're called the arsenic girls. But they came in there and they did a Snapchat thing with, with like, I don't know how it all works, but some of them had just done their shaving because they, before they do a thing, that's what they, and you can imagine your little nail thing hurt. You imagine when you have your whole dealio done, you know, it's like, whoa, <laughs> yeah, yeah. put you on fire, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, not, not Good so sports fun. though. They, they, nobody, uh, nobody was screaming yeah. or anything. So <laughs> that's funny, those girls, well, not funny for them that they got stung, but word to the wise listening, uh, don't have cuts, shave, any of that. So let's, tell me the process of what happens to the water in between a visit because i i know when i get out someone's always like hey are you done are you out of the tank and i shut the door and then i hear like the machines turn on and some crazy shit starts happening right that that's the process that uh we use devices not not these what they call halogens which is like a uh disinfectant that they see in the EPA regulates uh, disinfectants, right? Like they have to be specifically uh, tested for that purpose. It's not like you say, oh, use it on a uh, hot tub, so now it's automatically okay in here, because it's not. And the EPA hasn't approved any disinfectants for these chambers, but we use devices that are not yeah, creating. You're, you're using no chemicals. I no. mean, dude, I won't even... Everything's a chemical, but, you know, we're, we're using no additional well, toxic... Well, non-toxic chemicals. Yeah, yeah. You know, we use ozone right. as the main thing, you know, right. and a lot of it, and, even, and then the UV, and a lot of that. It's, it's strong, though. It's like, you have to buy the good stuff. Like, one of these cats that we know that somebody sends a picture, say, oh, look at this, how they do that. So we look at it and see what it is, and then you know, you just go online there and say, hey, what is that? It's, oh, their UV ozone system it costs $123, you know. It wouldn't clean a glass of water, and the bolts on our glass catcher cost more than that, you know. And, and, and to suggest that this has any kind of value in this application is an example of, you know, uh, I don't know what. You, you hate to, like, tell people where they're at when they come up with this stuff, but... For whatever reason, that they determine that this is something that's uh, 
should be there. I, I don't know how they come up with it, but our stuff costs a lot more money. You know, plain and simple. We we spend more money to make it what we are. Even everything about it, you know, it's it's all made in the United States. Every piece is, and uh, except for a few things we get in Canada, and we get some uh, German breakers. We use German. Uh, a lot of these German electrical stuff and Swiss for timing even, you know. So in between, so I just want to back up the process. So in between somebody getting in and somebody getting out, that water's all like exits the chamber, yeah, goes we hit, through hit this a process and right. comes back in and refills it for the next person, totally pristine. And right. German. It's doing 100 gallons a minute. Wow. Almost. It's wow. at 90 some odd gallons a minute. There's, like I said, like probably... 300 gallons, between 250 and 300, depends on where, which one we're talking about. Right. And uh, it does that amount, and we run it for like 10 minutes in between times, and then it's in, infused with the uh, O3 that then breaks into the O1. The O1 is, is in there and uh, destroys everything and uh, passes by the UV light, you know, three times in that cleaning cycle at least. And, it, you know, everything does. And also we have a specific, specially designed... Uh, method of uh, returning the solution from the top to bottom and throughout the whole space that it occupies that we're because uh, stuff floats in it you know hair or what have you it's hard to get that off the top and into the system for cleaning right. i mean just because it's running at some speed doesn't mean that it's it, it, this is another testing they do uh, in the laboratory on us, we've spent almost three years, NSF spent more time on our project than any other project they've ever done in the entire, how long has NSF been around? Explain what NSF is. National Sanitization to... Foundation. Right. And if you get any kind of recreational water, anything that is water related, it has to have a logo on it, NSF, that's been certified for this particular use. Otherwise, it's not even legitimate. Same with restaurants. Right. We used to do the restaurants. Since 1950, it was the longest thing they've taken to test on. They spent almost three years yeah. on that. It had to what be down fun. there running. That's crazy. Because even just like if you want to just open up a little hot tub center or a health club, like just the health codes and shit that you'd have to go through just to be like normal would be expensive and a pain in the ass. So that's pretty hardcore. But then one of the tests is called turbidity reduction, which is where they dump in there. I don't know. You might know what these materials are. You, you, you know what diatomaceous earth is? Yeah, the yeah. The shells like that, yeah, right? Yeah, you can they eat put, it. They use diatomaceous earth, uh, baby oil, and clay, and they make a slurry, and they yeah. put that in there. Now, can you imagine the difficulty trying to get baby oil out of a solution that everything floats in with those right. shells that don't yeah. weigh not, and then clay that clumps up? Yeah. And you've got to do a turbidity reduction, meaning that so many particles need to be uh, eliminated during a certain amount of time or passes, whatever it is like that. That's all tested too. So if you're not, yeah. if you're just pulling from a little space down there like that, this stuff isn't even getting touched. Right. In order to get the UV to have any effect, it has to pass past the UV because it's, it's not something that creates, that's what's been so difficult to do with these different states that we go into. It has to do with the law that pertains to other things that they have to uh, apply to us. Like say for hot tubs or swimming pools, where a lot of times, we were in uh, Wyoming and uh, we were dealing with the Department of Agriculture there. Because they don't understand, they don't. They know what a horse is. They they don't know what any of this. So, you know, the you know. Were you building a tank for someone out there? Well, for a build, yeah, for oh, a business. Okay. You know, okay. you have to go. We do it everywhere. I mean, we yeah. go. We're going. We build them all over the place. You know, that's yeah. what we do. You know, they, they, everywhere we go, there's another group of uh, officials that we have to uh, <laughs> oh, deal with ahead that's of time. Crazy dude. Huh. 
And they don't even know like what the fuck a float tank is. No, that must be no. like you, first you have to like educate them on the right. whole like purpose of it. Yeah. I can just see some. And like, then you're gonna have them write off on it. Yeah, they're gonna say okay, and that's where yeah. you know if they do this without investigating this properly, who's liable? Who said it was okay? Was there somebody right. that looked at this thing? Who checked it out? That's why we went through all the certificate. We have UL listing too. Underwriters Laboratory for electrical safety. Right. Another batch of unbelievable yeah. uh, hoops to hop through. They inspect us four times a year here. Surprise, attack, anytime, show up and go down and look through everything and make sure we're using exactly every single piece that's, that we're supposed to use, period, right. with no exceptions. Otherwise, you get a, a corrective actions report. Which is good because people, you're dealing with water and electricity and a human body. <laughs> You know, this is why like, we opted into it. You know how much it costs yeah. to even get to pay to have these guys to come in yeah. and do this to you? Yeah. You know, that process, yeah. all this stuff, and then continuously to evolve into something that then is what it is, like what you said. Now, you hit a button, and it does the whole thing. There's lights that come on for safety purposes to let you know what the clearing time takes for the off-gas to occur. Had to have guys fly out here and, and do all this testing, too. It, it, testing and testing and testing and testing to get all this legitimacy involved out way it has to be otherwise you know it's, there's liability issues like somebody could say something and say well you know you might want to say that but here's the paperwork you know we have the the, the actual so uh, here's what i want to know whose job is it to go clean the little filter or the mesh afterward with all the hair and pubes and all the fingernails and gross stuff that's left in there's that go through some like mesh filter thing and then you just have to oh no no away? no 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 that that is all the the machinery take uh, i just told you we're getting baby yeah. oil and and uh <laughs> right. and uh and earth out of there we get a fingernail or a, a a piece of somebody's ear that fell off or whatever you know it's not a problem like i don't even <laughs> care about the fucking germs in the water i just don't want to be laying there and like have a pube rest on my cheek or something. Well, you know, we also <laughs> clean the showers a certain kind of way. Like down in Westwood, we steam clean the showers. That's where you that's you cool. clean. Uh, that's that's cool. where I have all my uh, my pube removal experiences based on shower, uh, you know, cleaning, which is I'm really good at. I have a, a PhD in uh, in showering. I know how to clean a shower up, like you know. So let's get into then uh, a li- something I was curious about in the water because. You know, if I take a bath in LA tap water, I always filter the water as much as I can. If I if I lived in a house, I'd get a whole house filter, like a hardcore. Well, you get an RO. A filter is only going to get part of the stuff out of there. You're not going to get know. this cagnium out. You're not but get I the- live in an apartment, so so what I want to know is, to me, I, like I, I don't like going in hot tubs, not just because of the chlorine and all the shit that's put in it and the bromine, but it's the stuff that's already in the LA tap water. I don't feel like floating around in that. So, what about the water that's just coming out of the city main? from the pipe, from the municipal water, into the tank. Is that filter just for all the L.A. city water shit? Well, we use all in? the filters here. We have filters down there, too, for the for the full place, all that. We yeah. have filtered everywhere. They, but, you know, the fil- and we have expensive filters, too. It's not the cheap little jimpy ones yeah, down there. Yeah, because I saw even on your showers, you have, like, even this on massive three-chamber exactly. three filter. If that's, but, in the, but down in Westwood, have you ever looked around in the back there where the water comes in at? Did I ever no, show you I around in the back? Though. We had giant water processing stuff there, plus the drinking water, too. It was RO. The cleanliness is a very important... We don't try to tell somebody, listen, come down here and it's going to help you or fix you or any of that. We don't know what... We know that we're going to get the thing clean for you and then you can use it and uh, derive what you can from that experience, you know? And it's different for everybody, so... So at this point in your life, uh, how often do you float personally? 
Well, restrictions are based on time. I, yeah. I don't have very much time for me. See where the beach is? Yeah. When, I couldn't tell you. I went out here. Listeners, to, we're looking I right out on Venice Beach. <clears throat> take a pictures for something out here. They made me walk out on the sand. And uh, besides that, the last time I was on the sand right there, I don't even know how many years ago it was. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> tell you. I couldn't tell you the last day I had off what year that was. Right, right. I had okay. a day off. So you're <laughs> so you'd be floating more if your schedule. I will be for floating it. more once we're now getting into where we're going. Because right. right now, I was telling you about this factory that we're working on. Right. That uh, the different things now that see all these certifications, these listings. We've got we're government contracts. We have a ton of patents, patent pendings. We've got trademarks. We've got you know a ton, we work all day long in here doing stuff that we've been trying to get all everything perfect and then we're going to light a fuse here in a minute and 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 go explosive because cool. the technology is just that good it stands for itself i mean if a person gets in there and does this stuff they they can come away with something you know and it, it's within them they already have it it's not like we're saying you're going to get something from it you're going to just get maybe a glimpse at you you know and uh that what's that worth to somebody i, I mean any kind of like a because what are these people that go to go to uh, somebody say oh they sit there and the guy's taking notes or something say oh yeah yeah I got trouble I have uh, this and my dreams are that way or what I don't know what it is that they t- ask you about but going to a shrink you mean yeah yeah, yeah a psychoanalyst or a cycle this way yeah. or that way or whatever they do but this is like they're not going to get anything that you don't already know about you I mean they're going to say yeah. oh yeah if you add this add up to four you know but personally you can really hit the mark in there with the evaluation of you as you are with what it is that you're that's made you who it is that you are i mean it's like you are aware of what it is that that it's gotten you to where you're at i mean there's nobody better to investigate you your past than you to figure out then like there's some things that, that i was able to fix about me was just the this process of trying to make something happen that isn't going to happen. I mean, that is a big time waster when you get intent on something. And I learned how to do that to, at some point with things, uh, just say, okay, and then just stop and walk away. Because it's very hard for me to stop with an idea. If it, if it doesn't go right, I'm one of these guys who keeps trying to get the square peg in the round hole. Right. You know, and I don't give up. And so I'm constantly pounding on that peg. And it, but now I think I, that, that one thing that thing is learned, and patience too. I don't know if those two things go together. Patience. Sounds like there could be a correlation. I think there's a correlation. What's the right? longest float you've ever done personally? How long have you stayed in there? Well, I used to do like, uh, when I was doing some deep stuff with me, it was like I'd be doing like six hours plus at a time, you know. Just I never That's, got past you know eight hours. I never did yeah. eight hours or anything. Yeah, six. And the six sounds like steady sixes it. though. Yeah, like I do six. Like I go in every nice. day and do six. And six is uh, you can go way out somewhere in six hours if you get if you get into that. What that is that that's like a full time job of you see something that it's an area that people aren't even aware of. I mean, they don't even know that there's a alternative access available through this system of uh it's another portal to your consciousness that is difficult to find because you're all unless you're in a you know dreaming or in some sort of hypnotic state that's kind of what it feels like to me is that and without psychedelics or anything this is to you know it's like the ultimate sober high it's like you go in there and you literally fucking trip out you know and but in a positive way where there's like what what happens for me is 
I, I come up with solutions to problems, like shit that I need to work out and connecting the dots with work. Uh, also, a lot of creative ideas. The only thing I actually, here's one thing that's frustrating about floating is that I have so many creative ideas, but it's, I can't write them down or like record them because that would ruin the experience. It's like these gold nuggets sort of come out of the ethers and I just have to be, I have to have faith that I'm going to retain them or they're going to come back at some point and just kind of let them go. But that's what I've noticed too, is I'm just, I work shit out about myself, but the longest I've ever done is two hours. And I think at two, I'm usually bummed someone knocks on the thing like, okay, time's up. And I was like, shit, like... I felt like I was just getting started in a way, you know? So right. I could see how six would be like a sweet spot. One thing that makes it, I think, possible with the way you're doing it too, based on the other experiences I've had, is that you seem to keep the humidity, the air temperature, and the water temperature regulated the entire time. Because when I've tried to go uh, longer than an hour in some of the other tanks, the air starts to get cold and the water cools off a little bit and then I come out of it and I start to have that sensory experience of feeling like, oh shit, I'm just floating in some stupid water. It's like I can't lose the body because that sensation comes back because of the temperature issues. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know, that's the hardest thing Like to that's do. what keeps you in the zone right. to it's me. Neutrality. You, yeah. You got to be uh, non-involved. Uh, non, uh, that's what the whole thing is. At some point, if you can like... Let go. What like when I first started doing it, I would like I told that guy told me to go in there for an hour. So when I made one, that's what I still did. One hour I do, and then one day I did like two hours, and I went, whoa, uh, what was? Because I got out and I thought it was still one hour, and it was like the whole missing an hour. Yeah, missing said, time. What was that all about? And yeah. Then is when after that I started to get into going out, you know, into where you're not really, you let go, you're right. not thinking, right. You're not doing anything. You just go in there and you blank out, and then some stuff starts to happen that that's I think best for people to derive on their own. It's probably I've been denied access to some things now. I believe because of my telling about it. So it's like I, if I if I shut up, it's a personal experience. Yeah, it's a place, but yeah. there's a personal. You got to have a card to get in and. It's an exclusive <laughs> club, I guess, and they can revoke your privileges. So, you know, you have to be careful how you behave. What's the longest <laughs> float you've ever heard of somebody doing? Well, you know, you That was you, telling you the hear, truth. Yeah, 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 you know, that's the thing. Uh, <laughs> you guys like used to do stores. overnight. Yeah, exactly. Eight hours, I think, is okay. uh, pretty. Maybe a guy did nine one time or something. But, you see, I don't sleep on my back. Unless I'm in a chair, I'll sleep in my yeah. you know, up like that. But if I'm like laying down comfortably, I'm on my stomach or my side or something. So on my back like that, it's not the most comfortable. After six hours, I like I want to get out and uh, yeah, yeah, go somewhere. Or something. Yeah, totally. That's the weird thing about it. I think for uh, people that haven't experienced it, is you actually can fall asleep. Like whenever I float, I kind of come in and out of consciousness. I'm you get a little of, jerk sometimes. Yeah, I sort of sleep a little bit. But what's yeah. weird is like. Like you said, the word surrender, I think, or letting go. Yeah, that's what I said. When you do yeah. that, then you don't have any fear. Like people always think you're going to drown. Like, what if I fall asleep? I'm like, mm -hmm. dude, you're not going to flip over in your sleep and suddenly plant your face under the water. Like you would literally, you're too buoyant to well, drown. Plus you could just sit up. It's yeah. like you're positive. You'd have to hold your head down, you know. Yeah. For the, all right. <laughs> You'd have to yeah. like do a Harry carry yeah, here, I'll give yourself. you my wallet. Yeah. You know, I don't let me up. I don't know. And then yeah. what about... What about, I want to just get, before we close out, I want to get into the psychedelic nature of it. Because like I said, for me, it's a really psychedelic experience, but I am stone cold sober. But I remember from the movie Altered States that we mentioned, and just from doing some research on floats, 
have a lot of people and do a lot of people like take DMT or ayahuasca, um, LSD, like shrooms. Do people, is it common for people just to actually like trip balls and then go in there and just take it full scale? Not something people would are, are doing that you've heard about. Well, you know, uh, people, whatever it is they do, you know, I'm the kind of a guy that just says, you know, I don't really want to know what you're doing over there. If yeah. it's whatever it is, you know, if as long as it's not messing me up in any way, then yeah, then yeah. I'm, and I don't I'm even fine. mean in your tanks. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> no, no, I don't even. I'm I'm in any tank at all. I'm just saying yeah. anywhere you go because I don't know if if you have one in your house, you could. The DMT is hard because you're going to have to somehow get the pipe sat down, get inside there, close the door, <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. you're going to do. Yeah. The ayahuasca is a preparation thing, too. You're going to have yeah, to not yeah. be prepared for all this and timing. Even if somebody's like So logistically, like doing, maybe those two. But, I mean, one yeah. could take a couple hits of acid and go in there and spend... Timing again. 10 hours. You've got to get timing down. Right. This girl, I heard her telling her dad the other day. She, yes, it was last night. She was talking to her dad, and she was telling me how... Or telling him... I was cleaning... And, but she was telling her dad about doing mushrooms. And, and I thought, well, pretty cool. A kid could tell their parent that they're, they're, they're doing the mushrooms. Dad goes, oh, yeah, or whatever like that. You know, that, wow, that's a cool relationship that parents and children have that communication uh, acceptance. Whether, I don't know that he's doing them or knows about it, but he's okay that she's having a good time. And I thought, well... They have a good relationship. No, the people, some guys that I know that are married and their their wife doesn't know they smoke weed. And I'm thinking, you know, what kind of a relationship is this where you can't be, uh, you know, honest that's with a, people? That's that, a doomed relationship is what that is. It's a so, sneaky one, yeah. So in summary, sneaky. so to you, there's not like a huge drug correlation with floating. It's just some people probably do it, some don't. Like It's, it's not an like, unfortunate association because okay. you see... Roller coasters are fun on acid or something, maybe, or if you right. hit some, whatever you want to do, but or whatever, it's Disneyland. But you don't want to be uh, associated with behavior that. Uh, what we do is we focus on the one thing. Now, if if somebody else wants to uh, do things like that, you know, I can see the value in it. You know, say, so, oh yeah, that I can understand why you would do that. That's that's pretty cool. But you know, but the other people would say, you know what, that that's the. That's not cool what that is. That's bad, bad. They were telling us today, this guy shoots the people over there. What was he saying? Our friend came by and said, there's a, there's a general somewhere, a president or somebody. Who's that guy shooting the, their drugs? They do drugs, they're going to shoot them? Filipino oh, the president. Right, he goes right. out and he says, oh, you're high. I don't like the way you're, you, you know, yeah. there's, uh, your they eyes didn't are red. They didn't anything from uh, <laughs> Portugal. <laughs> okay. Did they do that there too? No, in Portugal, uh, they're legal. And everyone, oh. they legalized drugs and everyone stopped doing them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, or at least nobody cared anymore. Yeah, you yeah, don't know yeah. if they stopped or started. Yeah. Who gives a shit? You know what I mean? They're, yeah. Whatever you're up to, as long as it's not a problem, you're out there, you got to clean up the body you just killed now. I mean, there's the problem. This guy was just having a joint or something. I don't know what they're getting them for, but whatever they're doing you know whatever it's usually generally harmless just like but the association between these two things i think was unfortunate for a certain type of uh stigma right, right? and right. i think that the associated people that were involved with that stuff are yeah. not your best you know like right now there's a different age of these uh tripsters or whatever they want to call themselves the kids that now have a uh interest in things it used to be like, you know, rabble rousers or hippies or whatever, they protest or, or whatever, you know, you long hair with this, you know, some sort of thing. But now it seems as if this, this type of um, planetary processing is occurring on a more of a uh, grounded 
batch of uh, of folks. I, I mean, agree. Like most of the people that are into the psychedelic movement now are doing it for spiritual evolution. Not so much like, yo, let's go see the dead tonight. Jerry's in town, man. I used to do it. You know, all my acid trips were always at dead shows, really. The kids like that, you know? But you're you're right, dude, because I meet young people like, oh, I'm going to South America to do ayahuasca. A lot of that. Yeah, but they're not doing it to like get fucked up. They're doing it to have. Well, that's what they say. You know, I, I mean, I, I still say, you know, you're doing it to get fucked up. You well, know what let, I mean, I mean but what I'd be doing it if I was. Doing it. No, but you said first, I'm, and I'm with you on this that there has been a little bit of a change. There's the, been an evolutionary yeah, process with yeah. this style of people. Yeah, they're not any longer, um, you know, looked down upon by society because, like you say, these guys got suits on. They're going over to Peru to do some ayahuasca. You know, people, their dad, their mom. I knew a girl, she went, went to, I don't know how many times, and she's very proper, very proper, and yet they're going over there to do this uh, spiritual uh, soul-searching, uh, right. whatever this uh, process is over there. And, and, and But they're far from, uh, see, but you know what is is the guy, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is the guy that made, even while you're here right this minute, whether or not you know who he is or not, I don't know, but he was the one that first started telling people, hey, you know what? This is a cool stuff. Yeah. And by him doing that, it, this is what all this is from. Yeah. He's the one guy yeah. that made it happen. Oh, man. I mean, he's got a huge audience. I mean, in terms of podcasting, he's the fucking Michael Jordan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he nailed it. Good. So, yeah. And it's it's great, isn't it? I mean, it's what's cool about, like, the way our media is now. You can basically, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I have my own radio station, and I can do whatever I want and talk about whatever I want for anyone who wants to listen. So a guy like Joe's amazing because you take a wide, a really wide audience of people that you have influence over, but then turn them on to really cool things like this. It's amazing. Yeah, man. and those people that have an association with him, a lot of these cats are like very uh, sophisticated individuals. Like they're, you know, you wouldn't think it, you know, to think, well, and these training guys, these guys that come in there, they're... Uh, they're doing this uh, fighting. The all the UFC, MMA guys and all that. All that, yeah, man. Yeah. These, are, these are highly skilled, trained individuals, athletes. Yeah. But I believe so is like the content of a lot of these topics that he brings up has to do with uh, very important issues for people to be, you know, be, have a conversation about. Yeah. Maybe none of this stuff you can do so much about, but it's good that we're getting a group orientation. The group here on a larger level is getting, it's not just this isolated group over here that you can ridicule because they're a different color or their headbands a different way or whatever you want to like line them up over there and discredit them because they have a association with some weed or something, you know? These now, the core group is more acceptant of outside uh, factors rather than so restricted and closed off to new uh, developing information to apply to a direction that we could get with, you know? Yeah. So in closing, I want to say, I just want to recommend whether they come here, if they're in California or LA to your spot. But for me, on like a totally sober tip and just on the natural and I'm, you know, into health and wellness and all that stuff, like I'm done with the phase of my life of, you know, needing like a drug to trip out. I just think it's been so beneficial for me to make this a part of my practice. And this show is all about building a lifestyle that's like based on health and spirituality and personal development. And I just think this is such a powerful tool for people to try because like you said, man, there's an infinite wisdom that's available to us. 
if if we just get out of the way, and I think what a float tank does for me, it gets my body and my physical experience out of the way, so that then like my consciousness is actually free to expand without yeah. the limitations of the body. And there's just there's nothing else that does that naturally than getting in some salt water. <laughs> you know, it's just it's it's really really amazing. So I dig I dig what you're doing and the fact that you're expanding this. So on that note. Where do you see the future of the float industry or just even what you're doing? You said do you have some expansion going on and you're about to hit the the go button. Like what's this gonna look like in five years, ten years in terms of availability for people? We plan on uh making available this situation to uh to everybody nearby at a reasonable price. That's our other thing is about the price. Even though our equipment's the best, you know, we do everything uh, the best, we still keep the lowest price. It's 40 bucks for two hours. Dude, you know? I know. I forgot to mention that, actually, because other um, float places I've been to, they only give you one hour, and I think it's like 60 or 80 bucks usually. It fluctuates like from one bad deal to the next one. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it sucks. It's actually been a deterrent because I've invited people. It's a lot of cake, man, yeah, to we, put up to do something for an hour or so. Well, we go on a website, yeah. and my friends are like, oh, what? It's 80 bucks? Fuck that, you know. Yeah, it's, so, a, it's a rough nut to crack. I don't know yeah. why that people have determined that that's the value of this. It's a, it's a. You put them in there, you take them out. I don't know. All of a sudden now, the people want to have a room too, where they'll talk to you sometimes, like chill down room. We want you to come in and leave. You know, <laughs> it's like, like we don't get to know yeah or hi, how are you? You know, none of that. <laughs> I, actually, we, I know. <laughs> I noticed that when I've been to both your locations, like, okay, f- read this paperwork. Have you done this before? Yeah. And then the first time I had to hear the little spiel and the second time I was like, hey, what's up? All right, here you go. See you in two hours. Bye. <laughs> yeah, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, We're yeah. not here to make friends. We're here to provide a service, make sure everything's clean and then keep the person un untethered as so, best as possible. So for someone know? that's been in this a long time, do you see this like remaining a small fringe thing for weirdos like me or do you see this becoming like something they have at, you know, fitness centers and health clubs and it's like becoming a common thing? Oh yeah, thing? no, we're, uh, we understand what's going on right now and it, it, it's, uh, it's, it seems it's, to be there's time. some buzz, you know? We've been me, waiting it's... to get what we're done doing, doing, done. Cool. And, uh, it, it We're done probably this week or next week or something and then at that point, like I said, we're ready to uh, to bring this to the next level, and then of course after this, there's the, the next chapter has to do with the programming, you know, which is what our patents have. That's where the uh, that's the future where we'll talk about next time, uh, maybe uh, about uh, some of that uh, where we're going with our research. Cool. The research is cool. Uh, awesome. And just so people know. Uh, as far as I understand, you also have the ability to do custom tanks for people uh, in their home. Oh, yeah, or, anywhere. We would put a tank yeah. on the moon if we can get transportation over there. <laughs> All right, <laughs> cool. <laughs> cool, man. Well, in closing, I want to ask you my final question. So you've taught me a bunch. You've taught the audience a bunch about this whole industry and this whole thing called uh, sensory deprivation chambers. Who have been three teachers that you've really admired or learned from in your life, whether that be a book, person, documentary, anything that's kind of inspired you and made you who you are? We don't read. I, I like music. I listened to a lot of songs when I was a kid. Music I listened to quite a bit. Kim Simmons from Savoy Brown, I, I always thought that. Because I, I sometimes now, like I said, I'm referring back you know, to stuff that... Uh, influenced me how i am i think because i didn't i wasn't consciously aware of it i didn't go to school i left school you know i learned sound you know that was uh that was a big the guy named uh, craig thomason taught me sound i love current club management i learned that from rich vendig 
the, those two cats there, as far as in John Patton, different people. I, I've been uh, lucky along the way to 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 have the opportunity to learn from uh, some people that were able to teach me things that were valuable. I had a guy, Steve Pinner, which taught me not to steal because of the I did something and uh, he got in big trouble. And uh, the deal was, you know, uh, it was based on my greed. I was like 15, and. Uh, that was the biggest lesson I think I ever learned in my entire life was about, uh, you know, uh, being greedy and uh, stealing and uh, how that is not cool at all. You know, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't work out, you know, and that, that I think was probably a super factor in my life was to learn not to do that stuff regardless. Yeah. You know. I guess that's why you don't charge 80 bucks for a float. <laughs> <laughs> well, plus I'm the guy that can't afford 80 bucks. Yeah, right. When right. I had to clubs, like I said, I used to do, you know, I always had 99 cent draft beers, 99 cent kamikazes, 99 cent jello shooters, 99 cents, we have 100 schnapps flavors, 99 cents, you know, because, you know, people don't have a lot. Of, and they really see the show too. I'm trying to give you a good price on that show. They wouldn't even let me be near the door. Because I just let everybody in and say, "Come in, buy me. I'm going to buy you a drink. Come in here. I'll let me get you a drink. Good to see you. Hi. Come on in. Good to see you. Come on in. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? You know. And I'm paying the band. And I'm paying for everything. You know. But yeah, it's always been my the, the main thing is that people are having fun, having a good time, enjoying themselves, doing something that's cool instead of just hanging around. This this thing here, what everybody does now. I, I'm glad I missed out on that. I, I don't. He's I don't talking, derive he's, anything For the from listeners that. on audio, he's talking about the phone. Oh, I'm looking down at my thumbs like what everybody else <laughs> yeah. is watching this on probably. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry. Yeah. But I, just can't, the, I don't have one of those because I'm afraid I'll, I'll be looking at it all the time. It you seems know what? Like you what probably does. will. They're very addictive. Yeah, they're highly addictive. You know, and that's a, 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 I'm an addiction specialist. I think anything worth doing is worth overdoing. <laughs> awesome. So, you know, well, the, dude, you thank go. you. You know, <laughs> thank you for sharing your mentors with us. And uh, those yeah. are like some private ones. And I appreciate that. And uh, lastly, I want to just uh, for you to let people know where they can find you. What's your website? Anything? Phone number? Floatlab.com. That's pretty damn easy. Yeah, floatlab.com. You got a phone number you want to put out? 310-208-0000. So that one's easy to remember. It's a two and a zero and an eight's all in a line. And then awesome. the rest of them are zeros. All right, cool. And then you guys can also find them. I follow them on Instagram on floatlab because I tag them all the time and stuff. So listen, Crash, thank you so much for sitting down with me and being on the show today. It's been really cool. And I can't wait for more people in the world to find out about what you do. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to have me on like that. It's, uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, brother. See you next time we float. Beautiful. I want to make a prediction right now that uh, you're either sitting there going, these two guys are fucking nuts. What are they talking about? <laughs> or you're thinking, what is this float stuff? I got to do it. I'm hoping it's the latter because as I said in the show intro, this is one of my favorite things to do and has such a profound impact on my life. So I am hope you're digging it. I hope wherever you live, you're able to find a float tank. Obviously, if you live in the Los Angeles area, get your ass out to Westwood or Venice and deprive yourself of all your senses for an emotional, spiritual, and mental breakthrough like you've never had. And if it's a little too funky or weird for you, but you know a friend who's a fringe dweller who likes to live on the outskirts of reality... 
do me and them a favor and share this episode with them. Just click on share, forward, screen grab, something on your device, on your computer. Let a friend know about this podcast. It's a great way to give back to the show. And it's just good karma all the way around. But if you want to be in the elite class of listeners, if you want to be totally badass, here's what you do. Go over to Instagram and follow me at Luke Story. Go to my Facebook page, like it, follow me there, which is at Mr. Luke Story. Why would you want to do that? Just to help me out? No, it doesn't really move the needle that much for me. But what it does for you, my friend, is enables you with the opportunity to watch live feeds of podcast recordings when I do them. So I've been doing tons of these lately. I set up uh, my iPhone and an iPad and I run Instagram Live and Facebook Live feeds of my actual unedited behind the scenes podcast interviews. So it's pretty cool. I did one on Instagram live for this interview with uh, Crash and I just set I set it up first like right when I walk in the room whether it's in my home studio or if I go to someone's office or their home or whatever I set up the Instagram Facebook Live. I just let them run. And then you watch me like setting up all my gear and dropping shit and bumping into things and just generally being the spaz that I am. And then you see the guest come in. It's a really cool process if you're into seeing the raw dog, like behind the scenes stuff. So follow me on Instagram at Luke Story. I also do tons of stories there all the time. No pun intended. So you can see me and my very active, interesting lifestyle in real time. And then again, Facebook is at Mr. Luke Story. Like that page. I post tons of great stuff there as well. And I really appreciate you listening and following the work that I'm putting out. It makes my life meaningful and worth living. Don't forget to tune in next Tuesday for an interview with my friend Wendy Michelle from Next Health as she describes how she healed herself from Lyme disease and how you too can heal yourself from any chronic disease using your own body's natural power and wisdom. Okay, now that we've wrapped up another episode and are even more inspired to live a healthy, happy lifestyle, I want to remind you to go to Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I, Organifi.com. Check out the green juice powder. It's fantastic. And what's even more fantastic is that if you enter the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout, you're going to save a whopping 20% off your order. Go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST, save 20%. 